Welcome to Cannabis Capital, the podcast. Blunt truths about the cannabis economy with your hosts, Ross O'Brien and Maggie Kelly. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Cannabis Capital, the podcast. I'm your co-host, Maggie Kelly, here with the one and only Ross O'Brien, venture capital investor and author of the book, Cannabis Capital. How are we doing this fine afternoon, Ross? As always, Maggie, every day is better than the last, especially on the front lines of the cannabis economy. Greetings, everybody. Thank you for tuning in, listeners. Well, our guest today, Ross, is the brilliant Eleanor Kuntz, co-founder and CEO of LeafWorks, a plant genomics company conducting cutting-edge research and developing commercial DNA testing services for the cannabis and hemp markets. But before we get started, it's time for the challenge that we all know and love, the Cannabis Economy Challenge. Our weekly challenge to see if listeners can identify an industry or sector that is not impacted by cannabis legalization. Ross, what's your record again? I'd like to hear you say it, Maggie, but I think it's two I'm not words going together, to. one undefeated. I think it's undefeated. There we go. All right. So listeners, could this be the week that Ross gets put in his place? This challenge submission comes from Lindsay in West Palm Beach, and her submission is education. A great challenge, Lindsay. How do you respond to that, sir? Well, I think we need to rename this from challenge to just cannabis economy facts, because it's not really a challenge anymore, because I've got this one in the bag, Maggie. Education, quite simply, and did I mention that I wrote a book? There's a book called Cannabis Capital, right? All right, move on. And did I, mention, <laughs> did I mention that I largely wrote it because it was intended to be, in its inception, a textbook, uh, a resource for entrepreneurs to help them with raising capital, help them with starting their businesses and running them. And so if you look at more broadly education, there's conversations now at the university level. Are we teaching cannabis entrepreneurship? Are we teaching the business fundamentals of cannabis? Is this something that we're including now in our curriculum? And so there is no legacy cannabis business courses. Nobody could have otherwise got a degree in that as a discipline until now. And so all these things are starting and hopefully my book will be in the hands of budding young cannabis entrepreneurs pun intended, as they learn the fundamentals of raising capital. Okay. Well, it seems like you were a little prepared for that, man. You were on your toes well, on that Well, we're running one. out of sectors. We're running out of sectors, but I've been thinking a lot about it. I mean, I did write a Did I mention I wrote a book? I wrote a book. Okay. So listeners, if you think you can stump Ross, please visit CannabisCapitalPodcast.com to submit your challenge. And now on to this week's episode with Eleanor Kuntz, co-founder and CEO of LeafWorks. Hi, I'm Eleanor Kuntz, co-founder and CEO of LeafWorks. And my blunt truth from the cannabis economy is that cannabis agronomy and genetic science is not up to pace with market needs or demands. Eleanor, we are thrilled to have you on the show today. Before we get started, would you mind giving our listeners a little background on yourself and on LeafWorks? I would love to tell you a little bit about myself and LeafWorks. So I come to the party first and foremost as an herbalist. So after I graduated from my undergrad degree where I studied botany, I was really interested in the intersection of the human world and the plant world. And the most interesting place that I could see the big impact was in medicinal plants. 
and how intensely we use them and how important they are, not only in our generic pharmacopoeia that we can go to and get from the doctor, a lot of those compounds are made from medicinal plants, but also in the greater world, how important those plants are to humans in general. So I really dove in. And in doing that, you find some plants are really more utilized or more um, impactful than others. And cannabis really started to stand out as an, an important plant early on. After my little stint in herbal school, I decided to go back to, to grad school and I really focused on botanical genetics, so agronomic genetics. And my, my interest was how does the, the human-mediated cultivated environment interact with wild plants? So again, something that's very similar to this human-wild interaction. And in that research, I mostly focused on rice and looking at weedy rice and agricultural rice and just how these populations would talk to each other. And that really served me after grad school where I dove in to best agricultural practices and what do we do in the agronomic environment to increase the medicinal value or the quality of those plants. And when I was doing that work, I was very lucky to have some really good um, contracts where I was working on medicinal plants that grow in Western Rajasthan in India. And looking at not only those agricultural practice, but the botanical trade in general, the global botanical trade, it became very obvious that in addition to how do we grow these things in the best possible way to derive the best value um, based on their medicinal quality, it became really clear that there's a lot of fraud in the botanical supply chain. And as a purchaser of herbs and really understanding that I'm buying something that I'm using for my health, I really want to know what that plant is. And if I'm a company that's integrating global botan botanicals in my supply chain, I really want to know I'm getting what I think I'm getting. And it's, it's a weird world where um, the organization that's making that purchase, buying those plants, is burdened with the responsibility to prove they're buying not only the plants that they think they're buying, but those plants aren't adulterated in any way. And so because there is oddly in some sense, but not odd in another sense, this drive to cheat the system and, and get as much value from a transaction as possible, we see a lot of fraud. And this fraud is in large part invisible to the modern testing regimes that we use to identify plants. And because I had this background in genetics, we really focused on using genetics to do that botanical ID because it is impossible to take that DNA away. And so if you have unique DNA-based genetic markers to specific plants, you can get around this fraud by using genetics to do your botanical ID. And that was the inception of LeafWorks. It was the collision of my interest in herbs, specifically medicinal plants. It was global supply chain. And it was this very new and upcoming skill set that myself and my co-founder, Karen Law, had gained in grad school. It was this beautiful coalescence of a whole bunch of different things that really birthed LeafWorks. And so that's how we started. We um, really entered the space in the natural products side as a botanical identification company, focusing on using genetics to ID plants. So Eleanor, I, I'm guessing that our audience is disproportionately more credentialed as PhDs. We have a lot of PhDs that listen to this podcast, but for those who aren't, 
I'd like to unpackage the science a little bit just for a moment. And maybe just in its simplest form, you obviously have years of observation from botanical science and, and looking at what's happening in cannabis. In its simplest form, we generally feel or, or look at it, and I'd like you to expand upon this, as because of prohibition, we're at a point where the science that otherwise knowledge of science base that otherwise is there in botanical science was absent from cannabis. Is that the right place to start when thinking about it? There's so many different places to start. I think that's a great one. Prohibition really has set back any kind of scientific discovery within cannabis. And when I say cannabis, I'm encompassing plants that produce THC and hemp or non-THC producing types. To me, they are all cannabis. So I'll just reference them that way. But because we haven't had the time on task at a university levels to really dive into diversity, genetics of the plants in general, we have a huge gap in our understanding and our tools that we can use to propel specific plants forward, to understand how chemicals are produced within the plant, and also just in its most basic form, identify which plants are which. You know, it's very easy when you go into the grocery store and you see a gala apple or granny smith. We have some very clear understandings, not only of what the phenotype is or the look and the taste and the qualities of those apples. If you want a granny smith, you probably don't want to eat a gala apple. They're very different. And so just understanding what that name means and what those types are is completely lacking in the space in any kind of unified or codified way. And prohibition, it's understandable why we're, we're here on the science, but we're really moving to catch up. So one of the things that from our vantage point seems quite exciting, and I'd like to hear your perspectives on this as you look at LeafWorks as the company, is that if you accept and understand that there is just a knowledge base that doesn't yet exist. So, so we're doing the hard science, the base science to understand these data points and the genetics, et cetera. What appears to us is there is a very short path between gaining that knowledge and having a commercial implication or an application or a product or something that's a use case from that. Would you talk a little bit about how you've approached the commercialization piece and how should listeners be thinking about what this new knowledge base means and what the business implications are? Absolutely. And I'm going to answer a little more abstractly because I think that it's exceptionally multifaceted. And when you understand that, you can really vision a lot of different realities for how genetics can impact the the capital side of the, the cannabis economy. And so genetics is a language. It's like math or English. It's a way of speaking about the world. And the, the beauty of genetics is that it allows us to speak about these plants in ways that help us move them forward. The most basic is what, what are we talking about, right? So if, if we have a medicinal plant, we need to know that if we have two doctors using the same medicinal plant, that the names correspond to the same plant. So that's a very basic. If you're looking at just agriculture as a whole and looking at how, how do you take plants that are potentially ill-suited for one environment and move them into another environment or move in traits that are beneficial, like 
mold resistance or increasing some flavor of chemistry, whether it be terpene profiles or cannabinoids. Understanding the genetics or the language that underpins those chemical pathways allow you to move those populations forward, whether it be through selective breeding or in other capacities. You have to understand the genetics that underpin those production pathways in order to do biosynthesis in order to do any kind of genetic modification. So any, any way you want to go, that language is critical first step. And genetics is, is universal. So the nice thing about learning something about a small group of cannabis plants is that knowledge that you learn about those plants is applicable to other plants. And so there's a lot of future directions that you can go having that basic understanding of the cannabis genome and the diversity that's held within populations of plants that we currently are interacting in the market. Hey, I'd like to take a turn away from the science of the cannabis economy and more of the human experience within the cannabis economy, if you will. And I go back and forth on asking this question because unfortunately, I feel like we're still in a place where we actually need to ask this question and talk about this. But can you share your experience as a female founder? You are two female founders of a company that it seems like just in terms of startup culture, entrepreneurship, it can be very male dominated. And I would love for you to speak to what that experience has been like just for you as both female founders and also as female founders in the cannabis economy. Being a female founder is an, is an interesting thing. It's not so different than being a female in some of your hard sciences, though. So I think some of us scientists have had this experience throughout school, and it's changing, and STEM programs are really pushing that forward, women in, women in STEM, women in science specifically. I think the intersection of fundraising and capital becomes like doubly male-dominated in some sense. And so you just have to leverage your skills and realize you are unique. And that is an, a really powerful place to be. And although there's sometimes difficulties that come in that journey, there are also a lot of benefits to being the, the only woman in the room, which happens. And it's really about looking at that experience as a positive as opposed to a negative. And that's one thing that I personally have really tried to leverage is just utilize it in that way and just see it as a positive and just push that forward. And the nice thing about cannabis is there are a lot of female founders and there have been a lot of very strong women in this industry for decades. And so that's, a, it's kind of a unique thing about cannabis. And as it becomes more mainstream, it's shifting, but we do have the power of the female. I mean, female plants are the plants that we move forward. And so it is a very open space to the importance and the power of the female in that perspective. I have had wonderful experience over decades being in the cannabis community as, as a strong female leader, interacting with strong female leaders. And I see this it's a huge benefit to the entire growth of the industry. 
Thank you. And I'd like to take this opportunity just to provide a little shout out to the Women Leading in Cannabis podcast hosted by Cura Reed. So please give that a listen. I've actually heard this from a founder recently. They know they want to get into cannabis and they just came out and said, I'm thinking I really want to move to California and and be a cannabis entrepreneur in California. Like that just feels like the place. What would you say to someone who is thinking that, that California is the draw? I think it depends on what you want to do in the space. There are many vibrant cannabis and hemp communities that are springing up everywhere throughout the entirety of the United States and the world, if you really look. And so I feel that if you are interested in history, culture, genetic diversity, cannabis, like the center of cannabis on those elements really is California. But if you're interested in creatively moving things forward, you have different perspective that you bring to the table. If you're utilizing your your background and your history and integrating that with cannabis, that's something where find your place. California is just one of many. But there is a very special thing about California cannabis. Cannabis culture originates here globally. So Eleanor, I'd like to expand upon that. One of the things, and and I we, we know each other outside of this podcast as well, so I know that you spend a lot of time hands-on, in-person, working with cultivators, being in this California cannabis culture that you're talking about. What are the things that you're observing in real time that you think people should be aware of? What things are you seeing that you think our listeners should should know about or be aware of or hear from the front lines? Cannabis in California has such a deep history. There are all kinds of people that are involved, which is one of the wonderful things about being in California. You know, it's, it's a unifying force. You go to a cannabis 10, 20 years ago, you go to a cannabis party and it's the most diverse party on the block. Not only in skin tones and associations and where people are from and what people do and their like normal day jobs. It's really amazing how cannabis can unify people. And that's one of the most beautiful things about cannabis. But if you really look at what's happening on the ground now, it's difficult. Taxes are really high. There's huge barriers to entry. People and organizations that have been doing it for a very long time don't have the capacity, whether it be financial or professional aspects, to enter into the legal market in a way where they can be successful. And I think that is hugely detrimental to cannabis as a whole. The experience, not only with the plants themselves, but growing techniques and the culture of really moving these plants forward and the creativity that has come with that scientific pursuit of diversifying these plants for specific purposes is in some ways being lost by the corporatization of cannabis. And I think that does all of us a disservice. Part of the thing that really draws all of us to cannabis is that vibrancy and that outside of the box thinking. And I feel like we really need to to relook at some of the ways that we're moving forward and strategize around how to preserve those elements because they serve all of us um, in the long run. And on the ground, I feel like there's kind of a really interesting thing that's going on with farms where you have some people that really want to just like blow it up and get really big. And 
Then you have other organizations that are really true to their, there's a lot of back to the lander roots in the cannabis community, which is not something that everyone is really aware of, but that sentiment of self-reliance and honoring the land and leaving a place better than when you found it. And you started to interact with that space and the real move and push to reject, not just organic or a steady state agriculture, but truly regenerative agriculture. How do you grow the entire system? That type of thinking is immensely important, not only within the cannabis community, but expanding that out to the rest of our food systems. And seeing that play out in Northern California has been very interesting to me. And I have a lot of of vested interest in seeing that expand into our other food crops. So what advice would you give to founders who are just beginning their capital raise? My advice to individuals and organizations starting to raise capital is know what you're good at and stay in your lane. I think that's the most important thing with cannabis. I think there's this tendency to like want to do it all. And we rarely are good at doing it all. And so that would be my my best advice is really come to the party with your skill sets and move those skills forward. So what would you say then in terms of advice, like think back to when you and Karen were just getting started. What is one piece of advice that you wish you would have had? right at that inception moment or within that first six to 12 months, let's just say? I think it's it's not so much advice, but it's a way of thinking, realizing that building and growing a business, becoming an entrepreneur is a lot like grad school and it's hard. It's hard work and you get into it and there's sort of a light at the end of the tunnel and the light goes away and the light gets brighter, but really just having the ability to to breathe through some of the hard parts and see down the road and realize that the the vision if the vision is there you will overcome the obstacles that fall in your way you mentioned eleanor seeing down the road and this is probably a good place to uh sort of wrap up what i think will be part one of probably multiple parts of the conversation here Talk to us about what you do see or how you see the future playing out for the cannabis economy. How do you see the science that is now rapidly developing, impacting the broader business elements, the cultural elements here in the U.S., globally? Where are you tracking things for the future? The future for cannabis in my world is very bright. I believe we need to be mindful of not repeating some mistakes of the past, and in, in, from my point of view, really being a geneticist and having that vantage point, being mindful to not lose our important diversity because of the commoditization of certain plants that can do well in the market in the present moment, realizing that the market is going to grow and evolve and mature. And the most scary thing to me is losing a lot of the hard work that has been done by individuals over the long haul in dark times where they're risking their their freedom to move these plants and to caretake these plants. I mean, I've, I mean, Ross has you know alluded to the fact I interact with a lot of farmers. And in some of those interactions, I've met plants that are older than I am, which is really humbling to think about 
people keeping these plants and trading these plants. And that's another thing is there's always been this culture of keep some of it close, but make sure someone else has a cut because you don't want to lose it. And I think we need to, to really think about that. Like, how do we maintain diversity? Because that's the palette. That, that would be my most focused answer to that because I could really wax poetic about that question. Many thanks to Eleanor Kuntz, co-founder and CEO of LeafWorks, for joining us today. Details covered in this episode can be found in the show notes. To learn more about LeafWorks and cannabis genetics, visit leafworks.com. And remember, if you have a cannabis economy challenge, please visit CannabisCapitalPodcast.com and submit your challenge. And you can find us next Thursday with a new episode of Cannabis Capital, the podcast. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.